So we are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to verse 30. That's what we're looking at this morning. I want to start with a question. And the question I have is this. What do you make of us as a fellowship? I am not asking what you are supposed to think or what you are expected to think about us. I just mean your honest gut reaction, your gut thoughts about us. What do you make of us as a church? And I suspect if we go around and ask for a gut reaction uh, anonymously, we are likely to get many different opinions about our church, our worship, and our life together. Now, some of you may mention uh, how COVID has killed our fellowship lunches. That might be the main thing that comes to your mind, right? The fact that the restrictions mean we couldn't have those uh, wonderful lunches that we used to have together, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and as you suspect, I do miss uh, the lamb chops uh, quite a bit. So uh, I'll probably mention that as the first thing. Some of you may talk about the children's ministry. Our church feels incomplete, doesn't it, at the moment, uh, without our Sunday school, without our mums and toddlers. Others may mention their deep longing for deeper fellowship. Their answers may challenge us to grow in love and vulnerability towards each other. They long to see more of that in our church. Others may, of course, mention the joy we, 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 have, we have been enjoying, isn't it, of sitting around the Lord's table together. The blessing of being together with God's people again uh, around Christ, around the table of Christ. Uh, we missed that and it, it was a joy again to have that last week. Some may talk about the singing, right? I think all of us may mention that, right? Especially today, I haven't been uh, singing as fluently. But you're going to say, I never sing fluently, right? Uh, but you may mention that all of us long for God to help us to improve in our singing of praises to him. Others may talk excitedly and positively about our Zoom Bible studies or the Women's Book Fellowship or our Zoom Q&As, which they find helpful. The point I'm making is that we all have thoughts and feelings about our church. What we like and what we don't like. It is normal. We are human beings, aren't we? But here's the thing that we need to remember, and it's quite humbling. It is this, that even though our views are important, there is really only one voice that matters. And that is the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his voice about our church that must drown all our voices. And so as I thought about us as a church, as we look forward to the next 12 months together as a fellowship, I want us to think and feel about the church the way our Lord Jesus Christ does. I thought, what do I really want to say to the church at the moment? And I think that's what I want to say, which is, I want us to feel and think about this fellowship the way the Lord Jesus does. In fact, I want us to act towards this fellowship the way the Lord Jesus acts towards us. Now, the Lord Jesus is present with us here today because he has promised that when we are gathered physically together like this, he is present among us. That's why Sunday morning church is so wonderful. 
And I think as he looks around, we have to ask ourselves, what does he make of us as a fellowship today, this morning? What does he think and feel about us? Well, the answer to that question is throughout the Bible, but it's especially, I think, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to verse 30. Now, the book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to people living in the ancient city of Ephesus. They were living in a city full of sin and idolatry. And Paul wrote this letter to remind them of what they were before they came to know Christ. But most importantly, who they were now. They were now the new people of God in Christ. And so if you read the letter of Ephesians in chapter 1 to chapter 3, Paul begins by reminding them of what God has first done. There is no, there's nothing in those chapters really about asking them to do anything. It's all about telling them what God has done. There are no imperatives, we might say, just indicatives. This is what God has done for you in Christ. Chapter 1 to chapter 3 is all about that. In chapter 4 to chapter 6, he then, in light of what God has done, explains how they should now live their new life in Christ. And we are in the middle of that section, isn't it? In chapter 5, that's what I want us to look at this morning. We are in this interesting section where Paul is reminding husbands how they are to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives. That's what this section is about. And in cases husbands we plead ignorance, Paul says to us, you're not ignorant, you know what Jesus has done. Follow the example of Christ. That's how you have to love your wife. Husbands must love their wives as Christ loves his bride, the church. And so that immediately reminds us that there are actually two messages from this passage. The first message is one I'm sure you've heard so many times. And it's a message about marriage. This passage is preached on at weddings often. And that's fine, because that's what Paul is talking about. That's the first message. But the other sermon in this passage is about what Christ has done for us, his attitude to his church. In fact, I think at the wedding, <laughs> they should preach two sermons, I think. They should do daily weddings in two days. Start with the first sermon on, on what Christ has done. And that's what I want us to do before you get to what the husband should do. And that's what I want to do today. I just want to focus on Christ's attitude to his church based on this passage. And I'm sure that is a relief to the husbands uh, sat here this morning. They don't want to hear uh, the second sermon just now. Just one is enough, right? Now, that is our focus. The question we are asking of this passage is, what does this passage teach us about what Christ makes of us as a church? And I think there are three things we learn here. The first thing this passage teaches us is that we are the beloved bride of Christ. We are the beloved bride of Christ. Now, if we if were a different church, right, perhaps in the U.S. or perhaps uh, somewhere else, right, at this point, I would say to you, Turn to the person next to you, right, if there's one, and say to them, you are the bride of Christ, right? And of course, that will feel very strange, and the parents will be concerned that I'm perhaps pushing forward a strange uh, ideology, right? It feels strange, doesn't it? To think of ourselves as the bride 
of Christ. A local group of men, women, and children on earth married to Christ, who is in heaven, as our husband and us as his bride. It, it feels weird. And yet that's what the Bible is telling us in these verses. It says this is how we must think of ourselves as a local church. Look at verse 25 to verse 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Two things stick out in these verses. First of all, we are super loved. The original word for love here is agape. The love for us, the love of Christ for us is full, permanent, and without any strings attached. Now, many of us struggle to picture just such a love, isn't it? We struggle. Every love we know on earth has some strings attached. At work, you must continually impress your boss to keep your job. You have to do it. Look, your boss doesn't love you unconditionally. At home, perhaps you get a lot more love than at work, but in general, your wife will never be patient with you forever. Try testing it, right? She rightly expects you to behave decently or you'll be sleeping out on the streets, in COVID streets. And if you have ever had any friends, you know how they are like, right? They put, us, they put up with us when they need us and dump us when we let them down. That's the world. That's us, actually. Except Christ. The love of Christ here is without strings attached. And Paul says here that Christ has proved his love without strings attached at the time we most desperately needed him. Look at those verses again. Christ loved the church, he says in verse 25, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The implication of these verses is that before we became the bride of Christ, all of us were dirty, defiled, ugly, and unclean before God. That's why we needed to be sanctified. We needed to be made clean. The church had no beauty to attract the love of Christ. We deserved only his wrath and curse. Everything about us was repellent before God. It was just weird, just like a stench smell of sin before him. And yet we read here that Christ, knowing all of that up front about us, decided to clean us up before God, to sanctify us. The sanctify here is not an ongoing process, actually. He's using it as a definite process, a cleansing, a one-off cleansing. He, Christ offered his lifeblood as a spiritual detergent, we might say. You see, the wages of our filthy stains of sin is eternal death. So the only way for us to be cleansed is by the sacrifice of the pure and eternal blood of God. And so God the Son, the Bible says, out of his love for us, put on human flesh and went to that cross to lay down his life for us. 
to cleanse us from our sin. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The water image here is most likely from Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, where we read this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and uh, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and careful to obey my rules. The water, therefore, is a symbolic of this inner moral change that occurs in a new life of a fall, in a new follower of Jesus. God, the Spirit, you see, cracked open our polluted chests. He removed our dead hearts corroded by sin and filth, and then he put in a new heart that belongs to Jesus. He gave us new hearts, washed, as it were, by the word of God, the gospel. Hearts that have repented from sin and are trusting in the death of Jesus for our salvation. He gave us new life with God. Regeneration and justification all accomplished for us. You see, the self-giving, sacrificial love of Christ has made us his bride. That's what Paul is saying. Not just his bride on paper, but in our hearts. We are now lovingly owned by Christ forever. Look, if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, you need to let this truth sink in. You are part of the beloved bride of Christ the church. You are not your own anymore. You belong to Christ who lovingly gave himself for you forever. Look, if Christ had given you instead a hundred million galaxies to own, that would be crazy love. Amazing love from God to you. If Christ had given you a hundred million angels, a hundred billion angels to love and care for you, for us, rather than himself, that would still be mind-boggling love to us. We are told here that Christ has done something more than that. Christ has done something worth infinitely more. He gave himself, all of himself, very God of very God. He gave himself up on the cross for us to be our husband. That's the most intimate relationship we can think of. You see, as we celebrate our church anniversary, let us just pause and take it in. Why we are sat here this morning. It is because God in Christ has died to make us his. Now, I don't know about you, right? But the world, lately, for me, has not just felt small, but I felt anxious. I felt keenly that this world is just too unpredictable. There are moments when my thought turn inwards. Where is this world going? Do I even matter? How will I face the challenge of tomorrow? 
But then I come to this passage and I realize I need to hear this message. I need to read and understand this passage. I need to hear what Christ is saying here. And we need to hear what he's saying to us as a church. As we face an increasingly dark world over the next 12 months. And I know some of you, as you look back the last 12 months, you've many ch- some of you are facing deep challenges now. And so we need to hear those words, isn't it? In verse 25 to 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Paul is saying, because we are followers of Jesus, our life is not small. It is not an accident. We belong to the church, the beloved bride of Christ. We are lovingly owned by Christ our Creator, Christ our Savior. He has set His loving eyes on us as His bride. And He will never leave us nor abandon us. No matter what situation we find ourselves this morning, and there are many difficult situations we face as individuals and as a church, we must remember this truth, isn't it? That Christ will keep us. And that Christ is keeping us. And that is the next truth we learn here, isn't it? The first truth we need to know about us as a church, first of all, is that we are the beloved bride of Christ. The second truth Paul wants us to learn here is that we are the beloved bride with Christ, in union with Christ. (coughs) Now, in 2017... The UK's most violent prisoner, Charles Bronson, got married while still in prison. And he married the former Coronation Street actress, Paula Williamson. The wedding was, of course, held at the prison. The wedding was held in the Perot hearing room. Not for Charles Bronson, they just, he wasn't going to be let out. They just did that to, to allow him to get married. And after, afterwards, after the wedding, Bronson went back into solitary confinement. The reception carried on. The show goes on, doesn't it? The reception was at the pub down the road. Without Bronson, of course. And we sit here and think to ourselves, what is the point of such a marriage? Well, I think the answer is that Miss Williamson had various agreements with the tabloid newspapers to write stories about the wedding. I think that's the answer. Now, as we think about the marriage of Charles and Paula, right? It is not a marriage, right? They are legally married, but just on paper. Is that how we are married to Christ, we might ask? It is tempted to feel like that, isn't it? It's tempting to feel like Paul and Charles because we are not physically with Christ. And be honest, there are times when you feel a bit like that. Christ is in heaven and we are here on earth. Marriage sometimes feels a bit distant. But Paul says, our marriage is not distant. It's not like that. Because Christ has joined himself to the church as one flesh, tangibly. To lovingly care for us every day. And he makes this point, we jump over a little bit. He makes this point 
in verse 28 to verse 30. I read that. Still talking about husband. He says, <coughs> in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then he says this in verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. The key phrase there in those verses is his body. Paul is saying that when Christ married us on the cross, we mysteriously became part of him. In fact, our union goes back to eternity past, but his focus here is what happened at the cross. We are now in loving union with Christ. You see, just as marriage binds the husband to the wife as one flesh, the church is also now one flesh with Christ by the indwelling of God the Spirit in us. And that is, we hear this so often that we need to take and think about it. It is quite a thought, isn't it? As we sit right here, right now, everyone in here who is truly trusting in Jesus is mysteriously part of the body of Jesus as one body. You and I are in the same union with each other and with Jesus. Our bodies and spirits are joined together in one body with Christ, one flesh. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. That's what Paul says. The word for nourish there is a metaphor of how birds feed their young to help them mature. Christ, by the Holy Spirit, is growing his bride, maturing, maturing her to become like Christ. The second word, cherish, is also a bird metaphor. It is a word picture of how a bird keeps their young warm. Christ is a warm husband to us. He is not a distant husband. He is not a Charles Bronson. He is close, warm, tender, and protective. His love for us, his bride, is intense and personal. We are not just lovingly owned by Christ. We are, Paul is saying, we are lovingly united with Christ. He is lovingly keeping us in his embrace. He is cherishing us. Now, there's no one here who doesn't want to be cared for, right? All of us want to be cared for. This is our biggest concern in our lives. Especially with the coronavirus pandemic that has gripped our world. We want to be cared for. We are praying that the government knows what it is doing. That it has a plan not only to beat the virus, that's the easy bit, but to keep the economy and society together. And as individuals, we are also concerned for our future. Aren't we? What happens if we catch the virus and really get sick? Who will look and care after us? We are worried about other things going on in our lives, isn't it? Family members who are unwell. We are looking for care in so many ways. Relationships that are fractured. We long for, to be cared for. 
As a church, we are concerned, aren't we, as a church? We are, we are worried, as I said at the beginning, on restrictions on fellowship, on evangelism. Worried about our finances and wondering how we're going to survive in the next 12 months. And there are many other challenges we face as a church. All of us as individuals of the church, we long to be cared for. And Christ is saying to us here, the good news, isn't it? He's saying to us, I am already caring for you. As an individual and as a church. I am caring for you because you are trusting in me. You are now my beloved bride. I am nourishing, cherishing you because you are my own body. He is saying to you as individuals and to us as a church, don't worry, I am caring for you. You belong to me. And I belong to you. I am not your distant husband. You are my very flesh. You being here is proof of that, that I'm already keeping you. And this truth should encourage us, shouldn't it? It should encourage us actually to go to Christ, our bridegroom, in every situation. To go to him and ask him with boldness and confidence for anything we need. We are the most powerful husband in the whole universe. And he is committed to care for us as his own body. So how can we doubt him? This verse kills our prayerlessness. Let us go to Christ boldly and ask him not just to sustain us, but as our loving husband to do things for us beyond what we can think or imagine. Christ loves us. And he is daily lovingly caring for us. We are the beloved bride of Christ. And Paul says here, with Christ. That's the second point. Here is the third and final point that Paul wants us to remember. We are not just the beloved bride of Christ and with Christ. We are the beloved bride for Christ. We are the beloved bride for Christ. The most important question we must ask and Answer week in, week out as individuals in the churches. Why are we here? Why has Christ, Christ made us his bride? What is he up to with us? Well, the answer is in the verse we just skipped. It's in verse 27. Let's just read verse 25 to verse 27 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, in verse 25 to 26, Paul has told us that the blood of Christ has already cleansed us, sanctified us, made us beautiful before God. We have already been transformed from filthy and ugly rebels into a glorious bride of splendor. That has already happened on the cross. We are already, as we sit here as his church, spiritually gorgeous, we might say, right? Flawless and perfect before him. The blood of Jesus, a once for all sacrifice, has made us perfect forever. 
That's the whole point of the cross. It was to make us fit for Christ. To make us a glorious king for the high king, a glorious queen for the high king of heaven. So we are already married. Now, that's what he says in verse 25 to 26. Now, in verse 27, Paul says to us that what Christ has already done in our hearts, has already accomplished for us, he will publicly display before the entire universe to behold and wonder. Verse 27. Why has Christ married us? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. As I said, we are already beautiful, but we do not see it yet. We have not been transfigured yet. A bit like when Christ was already on earth. He was fully God and fully glorious. But he had to go to that mountain when he went there to, for the disciples to catch a glimpse. When he, he was transfigured in Mark 9. That's our condition. The beauty is inside of us what Christ has accomplished on the cross. But we haven't yet been transfigured. We might say. We have not been changed into our redeemed self. Or, or perhaps even a better word is that the, the, the things have not been taken off our eyes. For us to see clear. But here we are told the day is coming when Christ shall descend and he will welcome us home into the new heavens and new earth for that great presentation. And at that very moment, the Bible tells us in, in Revelation, in Philippians and Revelation, that we shall be like him because we shall see Jesus as he is in all of his splendor and glory as God and Savior. And we shall take our place alongside him, to be at his side as his bride, as, as is his fitting bride, who we'll sits side by side with Christ and reign with our husband. We will be his glorious bride for the world, for the universe, the angels, the entire universe, to behold and wonder. Again, I just want to encourage you this morning to pause and consider how amazing this beautifying love of Christ is. You see, most men I know, right, look for a woman who is already beautiful to marry. They look for a woman, they don't marry so that they can offer themselves a woman. They look for a woman who improves them, who improves their social CV. Someone, their friends will say, ah, he has married elegance. That's the word of Mr. Trump and Melania Trump, isn't it? But Christ went and found the most vile creature imaginable. And he set his loving eyes on us. And he fully identified with our vileness. And he took upon himself all of our ugliness, all of our faith. And he made us a flawless and third and perfect bride before him. He took away the spots of our vows and the wrinkles of our sins. All of it washed clean. And in exchange, he gave us timeless beauty for all eternity. That he might present her, Paul says, present the church to himself in splendor and without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Whatever thing you're thinking of, which is ugly. Any such thing. That she might be holy. 
and without blemish. As if that is not enough, isn't it? As if loving us is not enough. He has promised to display us for all of existence to wonder at. What amazing grace. What love he has for us, his church. You see, the world is, is searching for glory and beauty. Look, look, who doesn't want to be beautiful here? Who doesn't want to stand out? To be wanted by others. All of us do. All of us. And the Bible is saying to us here, the search for beauty is over. God has lavished his eternal beauty on us, his church. And he has done it to display us for all eternity as his beloved bride. And I think as we celebrate our church anniversary today, we must commit ourselves to allow this truth to shape how we see each other. You see, the person sat next to you, I appreciate some of you, you are sitting by yourself for obvious reasons, but the person who is here who loves Christ as you do is a beautiful bride of Christ. That's what this passage is telling us. All of us here, well, you can take a look around and just check, right? But the truth of the matter is what the Bible is saying is that if we trust Jesus here, if we are here trusting Jesus here, you are a beautiful bride of Christ and with Christ and for Christ. Now I just want you to imagine with me for a minute how our church would look like in 12 months if we truly believe this truth and allow this truth to shape how we relate to one another and how we relate to God. And if we allow this truth that we are beautiful bride of Christ, with Christ and for Christ, we would sacrifice our time, our energy, our money, our everything to labor alongside our Lord Jesus to share him to people around us so that more sinners can be transformed and be part of his bride, the church. I think we would grow in nurturing, cherishing, and treasuring one another more and more because we know that each of us are special to Christ. We are his bride. I think we would grow to forgive one another. Those that offend us, we would run towards them to forgive them, to tell them we are forgiven them. Why? Because we would realize Christ has already beautified them, even the most difficult person in our fellowship. That's probably me, of course, but even me has beautified. We would be hopeful of change, wouldn't we? We'll be hopeful of change of anyone among us who stumble. Because if they have truly repented and trusted in Jesus, they are already the bride of Christ. Christ is already at work in them, nurturing and caring for them. And of course, we would grow more and more to look past our, the age, race, income, social status. None of that matter. We will begin, we will grow to see ourselves more and more with the beauty in Christ as the most real thing about us. And of course, we'll become a praying church, wouldn't we? We'll pray more. Because we know that together we are the bride of our, our King of Heaven. And whatever situation we are facing in our lives, we know God as our here. Or, or rather, we have His here, right? <laughs> right? 
He listens to us. Do you see? As we start our new year as a church together, we need to allow the voice of Christ in this passage to drown any other voice. What does Christ think and feel about us today? What are his hopes? What are his dreams? Why is he doing among us in this uncertain world? Well, the answer is here. Our Lord Jesus is saying to us, the church is the beloved bride of Christ. The beloved bride with Christ and the beloved bride for Christ. Amen.